Because when you want to do something like work for yourself and really reorganize your life in this way, you want to deal with your baggage. Hey, what's up, friends? Thank you so much for tuning in to another episode of Going Deep with Aaron Watson. Today's episode features a new friend of mine, Stephen Worley. Stephen came up from D.C. for a Connection U meetup at Community Forge that you can check out on the vlog. This is Piper in the coming week. And then the next day, we headed over to Studio Me for a podcast recording. Some of you might remember that Studio Me was a sponsor of the first ever Going Deep Summit, so they hold a very special place in my heart as well. But Stephen's style of discussion and topic of choice, which is the relationship between life skills and business success, is one that is very close to my heart and is a part of the impetus behind me starting the show myself. So we had a really fun 30-minute conversation about the future of work, the importance of self-awareness, in the pursuit of self-employment and also just a little bit of riffing on the connection you meet up and how I should be thinking about building the team over at Piper Creative. Please give this a listen and say hi to Stephen when you're done. Here's my conversation with Stephen Worley. You're listening to Going Deep with Aaron Watson. Stephen, thank you so much for sitting here in front of me and being on the podcast. Well, thanks so much for inviting me to Pittsburgh. And you are like Mr. Pittsburgh. You're like the consummate entrepreneur host. So if you're an entrepreneur, you want to come to Pittsburgh, you got to know, know Aaron. Well, you were planning on being here. We're recording this on the 10th. And last night was the 9th because that's how time works. And we hosted an event called The Connection You Meetup that most listeners will be familiar with. But you actually made the effort. I, I, my interpretation is to come up a little bit early to make sure you could be at that event. Um, so real quickly, your interpretation of what we're doing. There. Uh, so glad I went. I mean, this morning I was like following up with like a dozen people. So if you want to like meet a lot of awesome people who are like working for themselves or thinking about doing it, you should definitely go to this event. I mean, super friendly on how you attracted these awesome people, but like down to earth, like really human entrepreneurs, not the ones who are just trying to shake people down for a buck. Yeah. I love hearing that. That's <laughs> awesome. But I think that one of the important notes there that can relate to what you're doing is that it's something that we've reached somewhat organically. We started it, we kind of had an idea of what it would be, but it hasn't been overly designed or overly strategized. It was just trying to put this thing into the world and see what it attracts. It, it could have completely flopped and we would have lived with it, but it w it had to be tied to those kind of values and those type of people. And I got to network in a boiler room. I've never had that opportunity before. And you gave that, we tweeted that out because I thought it was hilarious. We all did. Everybody had that moment. You're like, I'm networking in a boiler room right now. <laughs> Where else? Where else <laughs> is that opportunity available? Uh, but yeah, people should check out the interview with Mike Skirpin from Community Forge. That's where we hosted the event. Um, but let's get to your story. I was thinking about where to start and I'm going to go with it. Tell us the story of getting laid off 17 years ago. Oh, painful day, but my the third most important day of my life after okay. being born and married. Everybody always forgets being born. None of it matters unless you've ever been born. Highly underrated. <laughs> <laughs> most important day. Uh, yeah, laid off election day 2000, uh, part of the dot-com bust. First casualty of what I now realize is our dramatically changing economy, right? Uh, I saw coming. 
But up until that point in my career, I was swinging job to job. And I'm like, oh, sure, I'm going to get another job. Didn't get another job month one, month two, month three, until somebody gave me a freelance gig opportunity. And up until that point, I was like so against doing freelance or working for myself anyway, because I was taught to be an employee. That was a secure path. That's what I was supposed to do. So I'm like, I haven't worked in three months and I need to make some money. So I took this gig. I had a, I'm going to date myself now. I had to produce a CD-ROM for a pharmaceutical company to explain to doctors how to use some new website that they developed. How to hire actors, all the stuff I had never done before. I came out of television news, so I wasn't on that side of television, but I learned really super fast. And I think that's a big part of being an entrepreneur. You just got to throw yourself into these situations and you can stretch and reach and you're, you're going to figure it out. It's going to be a little bit stressful, but that's how you learn. That's where the growth comes from. So just to kind of accelerate this story a little bit, it took me five years to accept that I was an entrepreneur, that I was going to work for myself. I kind of was like, hey, I've been at this. You know, I, I'm tired of looking for a job because all of a sudden, none of the, the, the idea of going back to work for somebody and having to play by their rules just didn't sit right with me. You know what I mean? I was, especially being laid off, I was like, there's got to be another way to work. Even back then, I just felt it. I mean, for what we now know of today, it's so much more common. There's so many more resources. But 17 years ago, it was not a thing. And so what you're doing now, uh, you have a website, Life Skills That Matter, mm. email list, podcast, uh, course for training people on this stuff. And it goes without saying anyone who would do a quick meander through your website and your branding is that you're trying to teach people how to do this, help them kind of make that leap that you had to traverse more or less on your own. And it begs the question of there being these two schools of thoughts of, you know, an entrepreneur's born, an entrepreneur is, an entrepreneur, you know, they've got it in their genetic code versus it being something that is learnable and teachable and the tension between those two ideas. So talk me through how you think about those two schools of thought. This question fires me up to no end because it bugs me when people say, you know what, Stephen, there's only a certain group of people who could ever work for themselves. So as a society, what we've done is a disservice to everyone. We've made everybody feel not that great about themselves. We've lowered their self-confidence through an entire educational system saying, you know what? You're only good enough to be an employee. You're only good enough to follow orders. You're only good enough to go up through a hierarchy to advance yourself. You're only good enough to constantly wait per, per, for permission about how you want to work and what you want to do and who you want to work for. That's a load of baloney. I do believe it can be taught. I'm living proof of that because I never thought I could work for myself. But kind of, I called myself a reluctant entrepreneur, actually, in the early days because I became an entrepreneur out of pure necessity because I need to make money. And guess what? My survival instincts as a human kicked in and I figured it out. And I think we all have those, but we don't activate them. We actually don't encourage it in our society. And I think I want people to realize that self-employment can be for everyone. I know in the span of a human population, not everybody's going to work for themselves. And there's also a wider spectrum of kind of that entrepreneurial spirit. Even in my last business, I had a team of four people. You know, I was kind of the sales guy and the guy kind of, you know, bring the business in. But I thought of them also as entrepreneurs. I didn't ask them like, hey, we got to get these videos done today. You got to send out this email. Did you follow up with that client? They just did it. So I think What's exciting to me, there's a growing spectrum of what entrepreneurship can be because that's one other thing that also bugs me. I think right now we think of an entrepreneur as how Silicon Valley defines what an entrepreneur is. And I'm also not in favor of that. That's just one version of entrepreneurship. There are many. You're doing one version. I'm doing another version. And anybody listening right now, you're probably doing your own version. That makes sense. What I'm also hearing in that answer is that there's an inherent uh, quality of creativity and self-reliance that is able to be present in anyone, but maybe you've 
learned or need to unlearn the lesson that that is not in existence? Is that part of what you're saying Absolutely. as well? Absolutely. I mean, I, I do an accelerator. First week, very untraditional. We spend the whole first week just getting to know yourself. You have to really deprogram yourself. You have to get to know yourself again. You have to kind of like break yourself down, be in the context of this supportive group where all, all these people are also trying to do the same thing to really understand and say, hey, you know what? I, as I always tell people, you're the first resource of your business. You're also its biggest obstacle. And nobody ever takes t- the time to really get to know themselves. What really motivates you? How do you like to work? What makes you feel productive? Who do you like to work with? What do you like to work on? What don't you like to do? And you really need to ask those questions, especially when you are starting to work for yourself, because everything you're, do- you're going to do is going to, you know, you're the common denominator of every decision. That- Let's break that down even further, though, because I think that to some degree, there's like a woo-woo nature to you need to know yourself you Mm, need to mm -hmm, evaluate mm. all this and and that's when the truth may reveal itself to you or the opportunity will reveal itself to you and that can be in and of itself off-putting like i would say in the last two years my evolution not in that like a almost like as a believer in karma to some degree Mm -hmm. has progressed tremendously that in and of itself might be a breakdown like how do you further deconstructing your process, selling someone on, that being the route in which to take. To use my previous argument, what I'm asking people to do is stop asking for permission. I can't tell you what to do. What I'm asking to do and guide them through exercises is to understand what is it they want? You get to decide. I mean, I know that sounds like, isn't that obvious? It's not obvious to many people because we've been indoctrinated in such a way not to ask for permission. So So in that regard, what I it's all about taking action you know a lot of you know woo woo and I love that because I feel like I'm on that spectrum I'm of being a little touchy-feely but I'm very pragmatic at the same time I mean I was a sales trainer <laughs> a sales trainer with a heart though and a lot of times this is about being very pragmatic of taking that action um, if I may there's three forms of work that people don't do it's not encouraged by traditional employment and we have to do it now to survive it's working on yourself working on your relationships and working on creating and when you work on creating, a lot of times we wait for permission again to tell us somebody, what, what should I do? When should I do this? How should I do it? But when you are creating something, you learn, you're taking that action. You're learning about yourself and be like, yeah, I want to do it this way, not that way, the way that this other person did. Um, you're also learning a skill. Boy, I really need to learn how to do this a little bit better if I want, ever want to improve. And then when you're creating something, you can share it with people in your, in your tribe, people of like mind, who are going to give you feedback about what they like about it or don't like about it. So this, this virtuous circle just by the act of creating, which is something that we don't do because we're, we, again, in traditional employment, everything has to be perfect. But when you're out here, you know this, when you're working for yourself, you've got to constantly be experimenting, and that's how you're going to be learning about yourself. So I hope that kind of bridges that gap of so how to be a little bit, really know about yourself in a little bit more of that woo-woo way, but also in a pragmatic sense. I love that you're tying it back to the pragmatic and practical application of it. I want to run through a couple more. There's a fantastic post right on the front of your blog of the whole premise of the name Life Skills That Matter and these life skills that you need to Isn't that crazy? I'm teaching people about business through life skills. And a lot of times people are like, what are you kidding? And I'm like, and I went through this accelerator with these 10 people and they came away. They're like, I get it now. I mean, how could I build a business without knowing these basic life skills? Because life skills or soft skills, they're more durable than hard skills. What's happening in our economy now, it's changing so quickly that any hard skill that you learn on average, I mean, this is average across industries, it's about 
about five years. So that means you learn a new skill right now. It's going to be valuable for about the next five years before you have to learn a new version of that skill or another skill. But life skills, soft skills, really understanding how you work, how you uh, interact with other folks, um, how you manage yourself, your time, your energy, that's timeless. You're going to have that for the rest of your life. Absolutely. Uh, one of these soft skills that I, I'm just really loving and I want you to expound upon is purge your life. So I think that... Do you know the, that's my favorite life skill? I did not know that. It's just just so happens that we are even more aligned. I was trying to stay away from being too agreeable with one another. But talk about uh, what that means and how one would go about starting to do it. So the crazy thing, and uh, especially Western style, so I even narrow that down to American society, when we want to make a change, generally we add something. Why not take something out? <laughs> right? Why don't we try this in a different way? Because when you want to make a big change in your life, you have to make room for it. Now think about when you get a new job, get a new house, get a new relationship, your life changes. You have to actually remove things from your life in order to make space for that new thing in your life. And this is the same thing. That's what I've really realized about this, Aaron. It's, I started this journey thinking like, oh, I'm helping people change their form of work. What's really happening is I'm guiding them through an identity transformation. Because when you look at yourself in a, as an employee versus self-employed, it's very different. You look at your time, your money, your energy. You know this too. Very differently when you own all of that, when you put your two feet on the floor getting out of bed every day, like every minute's yours and you get to decide what to do with it or not do with it. So this idea of purging is... Um, I do something very systematic. Um, a lot of times when people think of purging, they think of just getting rid of your physical possessions, which is a great place to start because it's tangible, it's tactile, it's always good to do things with your hands. So that way, just, th just think about your bedroom, your office, your living room, and just removing anything that you haven't used in a year, you know you're not going to use again, um, or it doesn't have any meaning or any joy to you. You take all that stuff out and what's left behind. I love doing this exercise, especially with people who are like, I have no idea what I want to do, Stephen. What's left behind is almost kind of like the tide going out. What's left behind is the stuff that energizes you, that is important to you. You're like, all of a sudden, you're like, huh, I can actually, there's a clarity. I can see this stuff. That this, this is what's important to me. And that starts providing you with clues about what it is that you want to do or what you should be focusing on. Then I, after you kind of go through your possessions, I often talk about purging your obligations. You know, there's stuff that you're signed up for, you're doing meetings, who knows, or even just favors you're doing for family members that you're like, why am I still doing this? It kind of doesn't feel right anymore. But evaluating that. Um, purging is really a self-reflection process, especially in our modern society. As things speed up. We are not stopping enough to reflect, to say, hey, what do I want to do? Where am I going? So there's so many of us just are running super fast, but we don't even know the right direction that we're running in anymore. But it's super fast. But what happens if we stop to say, this is where I want to go? And just the final two steps of purging is uh, so a social purge. Now, that's a very radical one. I did one in 2010, kind of making a list of people in my life. Now, don't judge me, folks. You might even want to try this. Uh, people who felt me uh, maybe feel positive and people kind of maybe feel negative. And then there's people in a gray area. And then it's, in, you know, relationship by relationship, making those adjustments, whether a full elimination or I just spent less time with them. And that really energized me and cre creating more space for many uh, more awesome people to come in my life. Just like last night. I mean, it was just like I was a kid in a candy store. I was like, oh, my gosh, you're awesome. You're awesome. And like and to be able to be on that path. Uh, and then and that's in, and when you're making those space for those new relationships, that's the other most important thing is you got to hang around with people who are doing what it is that you want to do. We're humans. We do things together. You want to like get healthier, you got to hang around with healthier people. You want to work for yourself, you got to hang out with people who are working for themselves. Does that make sense? Absolutely. And I want to touch more on the things and spaces mm. aspect of what you said. So um, it, to get take it even more to a meta level, 
sometimes we miss the relationship between the internal world of our minds and the external world around us. And that could mean just literally your own physicality or the spaces that you're occupying and the things that you're interacting with. And so, you know, the uh, famous book, Life-Changing Magic of Tidying Up by Marie Kondo that is that same concept of creating energy through removing all the things that are dragging you down. But another concept that I've come across more recently uh, from a good friend of mine, Adam Harridan, is the um, he referenced a book called The Body Keeps Score. And if you are dealing with uh, some sort of psychological trauma, you had something happen as a child, you whatever it may be, we can all wrap our minds around what that might look like. There is some degree at which your body also holds some of the pain associated with it. So if you, for example, um, had had some event in your youth between you and your father, there might actually be, whenever you call back that memory, a pain in your rib or like some soreness in your knee that seems arbitrary. It's definitely probably not the first thing that you're processing. You're, you're processing the emotional pain, but there actually is a link between working out that physical ailment or that physical point and the actual psychological release. So I think that there's probably so numerous an amount of opportunities to relieve ourselves of psychological barriers through how we interact with the physical world that probably go way beyond what we're even really conscious of. Yeah, I mean, it's, I always say, if you have a cluttered space, you have a cluttered mind. Yeah. You know, it's really, and when you start dealing with that physical stuff, again, that's, it is these connections with what's going on in your mind. I actually often advise people, especially when you're going through that first phase of purging with uh, possessions, is to journal about it. Journal about your emotions. What are you thinking about? What are you feeling? How does that feel when you let this go or not go? Because again, that's going to help you look for these patterns in the way that you're describing. Maybe unearth some things that you haven't processed properly, you haven't dealt with in a long time that you just need to deal with. Because when you want to do something like work for yourself and really reorganize your life in this way, you want to deal with your baggage, right? Like they could send another way of making space. You're going off on this new journey and you're loaded down with all this baggage. You got to lighten your load because you're going to pick up new bags along the way. So, and so that's another way of kind of looking at it. What about the kind of opposite of that idea as it pertains to physicality? I can, to we can totally wrap our minds around, you know, eliminate negative people from your life, sure. add positive people. But as it pertains to things, there, there definitely has to be, um, you know, something to wash away all that's not core or particularly important to your being. But in terms of adding positive objects mm -hmm. into your workspace, into whatever it is that you're doing, how would you coach someone to think about that? Well, first, I would say it's not adding, it's recognizing that you already do have possessions, physical items in your life that are giving you energy and making you feel excited. I have four little items on my desk, next, next to my lamp on my desk. One is a, uh, a cow molar from my uncle who was a dairy farmer. One was a shark tooth that I picked up when I was six years old in Cape Cod. One is this other little marble Chinese statue with kind of first stamps that a friend of mine gave me in business school was from China. And a little mini Buddha that a friend of mine gave me from her trip um, to uh, Laos. And I love looking at these things. And I love those, the, 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 a lot of those things, it's about reconnecting with myself, with my relationships, with nature. When I look at those little items, and those are some things that I've already existed in my life that have that energy. 
So a lot of this is not necessarily about running out to like, I got to go buy more stuff to make me feel good about myself and energizing, but it's being much more intentional about it. You know, it's not about rushing to go add things to your life, but really appreciate what you already have and being intentional about anything else that you're going to add in. I dig that. And I I totally agree with it. I'm glad we kind of painted that full picture. I want to go back to touching on this trend that you're talking about of more people being Mm self-employed, more people being freelancers, entrepreneurial ventures being an option for folks. And there's, you know, I feel like maybe it's just kind of the company that I tend to keep. There's plenty of people like they may be in the corporate job. They may be in something that they don't love. And they're like, well, I want to or like I'm going to get to it eventually. But as we differentiate between a want and a need, how do you perceive uh, the future in the future, having the skills to be able to be self-employed, to be able to be a little bit more adaptive? Um, How do you qualify that need versus want? I just want to remind everybody, I was a reluctant entrepreneur. I was somebody just like you. If you're listening, you're working a job and you're thinking about working for yourself one day. You're like, how could I do this? Seems like a lot of work. I have all these fears, all these different things things holding me back. I was there. And for a long time, I've been doing this for 17 years. And maybe like you, I mean, it's fun. I mean, I've made some good money. I've got, I had the opportunity to live in Spain for four months and until I need my clients. Um, I really have gotten to do a lot of different things because of being self-employed. I have full control over my time, who I get to work with, what I get to work on. I've now discovered in the last few years, this is no longer a nice option. It's the option. And I think a lot of people don't realize that work as we know it is going to fundamentally change and is fundamentally changing right now and will accelerate over the next 10 years. So work to me is going to look a lot more like self-management. It's going to look more like self-employment and less like traditional employment. And as I say, if you're gonna have to manage yourself, more of yourself, you might as well own yourself. And I think the spectrum of what entrepreneurship, self-employment, working for yourself, independent work is going to continue to expand. It's not, I think a lot of times, you know, my parents would define entrepreneurship as a small business owner, brick and mortar. They worked, you know, 75 hours a week or 80 hours a week. Uh, And then I think in our modern society, again, you know, there's this very specific Silicon Valley view of what entrepreneurship is. There are infinite choices in between those. And that's what I really want to help people understand. Even just as you're familiar, you know all about Praxis. I mean, I would love to popularize the idea for everybody in the population to consider trying to work for themselves for just a year. And that what that's going to do for you, even if you end up going back to the labor market, it's going to—it's almost like when you're training to run a half marathon. Um, maybe you're never going to run one again. I did one in my life, and I don't need to do it again. Uh, but I look at my health, my body, my energy in such different ways because of that year of conditioning and training. And I think that's when you can, if you can work for yourself, even just for a year, you're not going to look at your money, your time, your energy, your relationships in the same way ever again. And in fact, there's a, a cool study that the University of California did from 1979 to 2000, they released in 2016, 5,000 adults, that people who actually tried to work for them, themselves and failed when they returned to the labor market, they received a 10% bump. I call it the entrepreneurial bonus. Um, compared to individuals who have the exact same characteristics, they got an increase because those management, those employers saw that they had a greater understanding of all aspects of business now, not just their individual silo, that they were a risk taker, that risk, risk taker, that they were creative and looking for these new opportunities. So, I mean, and, and just, to, just to finally, wh- why am I so gung-ho on this? The, these are the four trends that are changing work as you know it. It's becoming less permanent. People are looking for jobs every two to four years now. Half-life of skills is five years. Um, we know about automation. Um, it's From the research that I've seen, it's going to eliminate some jobs, but it's actually going to change a lot of jobs. That's really what's going to happen. And it's going to create new jobs. 
decentralization of management, more remote working, collaborative software, you all use Slack. Um, so, that, so that's that idea of not the all-knowing manager starting to decline. And finally, our mass market's disintegrating into a market of infinite niches. So you've never, there's never been a better time to actually be yourself and get paid to be for who you are because of the internet. We have that marketplace now that you can't attract those people who really get what it is that you do. I know that's a lot to unpack. That is a lot to unpack. <laughs> Where my mind goes, I, I can't help but take this in something of a selfish direction. We're in the very nascent stages of building Piper Creative. Yeah. Uh, you referenced we, because Han is here recording the vlog. And the question that that takes me to is, if this is the trend, mm. and I have oh, aspirations. this is not a trend. This is the shift. The shift. I have this aspiration of 50, 100, 150 um, employees who, uh, not in the like old school like human resources sense, I can deploy like a battalion, but that I can build culture with. They're that- partners. Think about that idea. We looked at actually human beings as a resource. There's tons of companies today that still identify as a human resource department. Some are now using terms like talent management or talent acquisition. We have head of people operations. There you go. I mean, because it's a partnership, right? That's what you're collaborating. You know what I mean? It's it's your partner. You have different skills. Right. So so am I misguided in that? No, in I that? don't think so. Again, I think that that you, what you're reinforcing is there's the spectrum of entrepreneurship that the folks that you're going to bring around to this company, they're not just going to be waiting for orders to come on from high. And here's the specific job description. And you're going to do this thing over and over because there's going to be technology and automation to do that. You're going to be bringing people into your world, to your team, that are going to be able to manage themselves and to manage each other. I think that's the exciting, hopeful, optimistic message that I have is instead of always looking for work from centrally controlled authorities, whether it's public or private, that we can help create work for each other as human beings again. That is so awesome. So something, let me see if I can reframe this question. I We're, we're looking at bringing in interns, and we're also in talks with some potential early employees for Piper. And the thing, I don't even know if I necessarily look for it, but like my goal in teaching them or, or what I hope that they would be able to do, um, even with an internship, is to kind of make it their own and define what it can be. So instead of saying you're going to come in and you're going to be our audio intern and you're going to edit all the podcasts and then you're going to wipe your hands and you're going to go drink beer or whatever it is that you do, um, saying, well, we're going to do that. And then, you know, you can also create a project. You can create uh, a separate Piper podcast or a separate project that augments the company. And we're going to find a way to either compensate you for that or you're just gonna get the psychic benefit of actually going and being creative, like you said, versus just taking the orders that are dictated to me. But where I fall into perhaps being unsure of, of the outcome is it's so apparent to me. It's, it's something that I've been living in the same way that's so apparent to you. Other people don't necessarily taste it yet so as someone who is interacting with that, what advice would you give to the entrepreneur or manager or leader that is looking to develop the intrapreneur yes. more so than the entrepreneur? You have to build bridges. You have to meet people where they're at. Where they're at. They're not, this is not an overnight process. You know, When people want to work for themselves, it's about a two-year process. Or anybody who's even going to be starting to think about being an entrepreneur. This is, again, a shift of your identity. It's not a, an on and off switch. This is a transition. So one thing I would offer advice is, number one, we don't want to be in the traditional way that we would do this interview and we had the we looked at the resume we got all the references and then we make the hire i don't believe in that i think we got to go to more of an apprenticeship model a more of a testing type of model because to go a little pragmatic on you we want to have that balance of 
empowering them to be able to think for themselves and add to your company in a way that you might not have even have thought of. But at the same time, things still need to get done in terms of the tribe that they are now being accepted into, right? Um, so I think you always have to strike that balance as well and not feel bad about that. Um, but you, uh, but helping them understand uh, these are the things that we need to get done, but giving them more leeway about how that's going to get done. Um, I recently did an experiment of uh, applying for a job. got very far into it. And the thing that I realized that I couldn't believe, which bugs me, and please don't do this, Aaron, and ask this question, or if you're not sure to ask this question. Where do you see yourself in five years? Oh, God. I have no <laughs> idea. Seriously, I have no idea. Five years ago, I couldn't have imagined that I'd be doing this right now. Yeah. Uh, but you are, when you're in a job process, it's, again, it's, uh, I think the person up to quote unquote applying for this job feels uh, more subservient to the person offering the job. It shouldn't be that way. It's a 50-50 partnership here. That's number one. Number two, the person who is coming into this new tribe, um, they're allowed to like maybe negotiate their salary or their time off, but it's not permitted. There's a tacit understanding that you're not allowed to tell people how you like to work, what makes you productive. And that needs to change. I think that is the great cause of how we need to change. That's the next shift for traditional employment needs to change that. People need to have the comfort to say, you know what? I do my best work between 7 11 in the morning. I want you to get the most out of me. And that's when I need to do it. Like, don't make me come in at, at 9 o'clock until 5 because then you're missing two of my best hours. Or think about night owls. The entire system has been gamed against them for years. Like, there's, there's about 15% of our population who does the best work from 7 p.m. to 11 p.m. at night or later. And we've forced them into this nine to five arbitrary time slot of how to work. So that's if you could just do that, ask them. And if they don't know, but start guiding them to help them understand how do they like to work? I always talk to people about their peak performance period. What's that four hour window when you have your sharpest mental clarity, your most energy? That's when you should be using that time for your best work. <laughs> this is a lot of good ideas. I need to have you just... I love Come on the podcast these, consistently. Like, fun stuff. I, well, folks. I mean, this is what seventeen years of being quiet about it. This is where I'm like regurgitating and just so excited to like share all of this now. I feel like I've been living the future of work to tell people how to do it and how to make it a smoother transition. I'm not going to say that it's a snap, but I am going to be. I know, I've now learned how to make it simpler for people. Awesome. Well, uh, if people want to learn more about that and and uncover more of your teachings, what digital coordinates can we give them to learn more? I think the best place to start is lifeskillsatmatter.com slash get started. I have a ton of free resources there that you can dive into. Um, you can also connect with me. Uh, Twitter is my favorite social media platform. I'm at Stephen Worley. Awesome. We're going to link that in the show notes. Going deepwithaaron.com slash podcast is the place to find it for this and every episode of the show. But as we do at the end of each episode, Stephen, I want to give you the mic one more time to issue an actionable personal challenge for the audience. Simple but difficult. The first thing, if you are thinking about a side hustle, something you want to do, um, one of the most common responses I get, you know, either it's fear or like, I can't find the time, Stephen. So this is what I want you to do. I want you to schedule time on the calendar once a week for at least 30 minutes. You are your most important client. And just like any other client, you have to keep that meeting. And then I want you just to make a very short list like for family emergencies, health and crisis, whatever, that is going to bump that meeting. Otherwise, everything else is just a distraction. And use that time to reflect, to start working on your business, to start meeting new people. 
So give me more about how, how I'm spending that time. It's a half hour. Is that like it, specifically for networking, specifically for meditating or just whatever suits or what I feel like I need? Yeah, you have to take an action during that time. And it's about advancing whatever it is that you want to do. It's a, it, What we're trying to get people to do is they say that I don't have enough time to do this. So by scheduling that time um, that I can... The, the here's I have a growth journal. If you want, also you could uh, find this on my website. Um, number one, in that time, you always want to check in with yourself once a week. What did I learn about myself this week? Once again, understanding myself and my productivity. Number two, what did I learn in terms of skills that I want to develop or acquire to practice my craft or whatever it is that I want to do for my work? And who did I meet this week or who, do I, who did I follow up with that can help me advance my business or help me develop my skills? And finally, what did I create? And what did I, you know, did I do I do an experiment? Did I do a prototype? Um, you know, that is also going to change depending on what it is that you're doing. Some of you might be doing a product, you might be creating content. Uh, so that's really what you're using. It's about what is a, a core action you can take to move what it is that you want to do forward. I love it. Um, Stephen, one of the things that I recently heard and I totally agree with is that in the information age where every historical date, every fact is accessible to us via the internet um what is durable much like the hard skills that might not necessarily be so are mental models and ways to frame ideas and those are some of the most durable edges that we can personally glean i feel like you've given so many of those to the audience today and i just want to thank you for that and thank you for sharing your time with us no thanks so much and thanks for giving me this awesome platform you do such an amazing work and i just you're one of those people that really just brings out amazing stories and people like me so thanks for doing what you do Well, I appreciate you. We just went deep with Stephen Worley. Hope everyone out there has a fantastic day. I said that weird at the end. Did you hear that? That was weird. (laughs) Hey, what's up? Thank you so much for listening to another episode of Going Deep with Aaron Watson. I hope you enjoyed that talk. I know I did, and I'm deeply appreciative to Stephen for making his way up to Pittsburgh so that we could record this. Big thing I'm learning in the last half year or so is that interviews in person are just better. Uh, I've done some where I'm a guest on Skype, and I used to do a lot more on this show, Long Distance, and there's something really to be said for sitting down in front of the person, reading their body language. While you're not necessarily seeing every single one of these interviews on video over on the YouTube channel, there is still something that translates into the quality of the conversation. So we're going to continue doing that and uh, going to continue pumping out these new episodes for you. So keep it tuned to Going Deep with Aaron Watson. Thanks for listening. Connect with Aaron on Twitter and Instagram at AaronWatson59.